Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The FT. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio today are Brooke Masters, our Chief Regulation Correspondent, and Daniel Schaefer, our Investment Banking Correspondent. This week, we'll discuss JP Morgan's annual meeting, where Chief Executive and Chairman Jamie Dimond was defending a vote to strip him of one of his roles. We'll discuss pay in Europe in the light of new tweaks to the EU bonus caps. And finally, we'll take a look at guitar snapping up stakes in key lenders. First, though, Daniel, you've been watching the latest developments at the annual meeting of JP Morgan and up to the minute news that actually Jamie Dimon has fended off the attack on his dual role. Just a little bit of background, maybe, for our listeners. Why was he under attack on this front? Basically, what we're seeing there is sort of a big test case for corporate governance in corporates in the US. Jamie Dimon, he first started as CEO, and then he took also a year later took on the chairmanship role. So he's one of the few remaining Wall Street top managers who've who've got both the chairmanship and the CEO role. The Goldman other one, Sachs yeah, is another one, and Lloyd Bank Blank, of New yeah. York Mellon as well. But right. it was seen less contentious at Bank of New York Mellon, and Goldman actually always managed to fend off any opposition against it this year by strengthening the so-called lead director who's, yes. who's sort of the independent director on the board okay. and they strengthened his role so so there wasn't unlike with JP Morgan there wasn't any vote to split the chairmanship and CEO role the particular reason for there being such opposition potentially this year, harks back nearly a year, doesn't it, to this whole London whale trading route. Yeah. In the case of JP Morgan, the the special reason now is that um, they had obviously the six billion loss from the trading scandal with uh, the London whale, where bets on derivatives went badly wrong. And this has basically damaged this really strong risk control reputation that JP Morgan had in the past. It has led to sort of a breakdown in trust with the regulators and it has prompted some investors to question the whole capability of the board to control management and to control risk at the bank. Right. And this in turn has prompted them to, to say we, we need a strong independent chairman to control Jamie Dimon and to control management. So this was one of the measures that shareholders were being asked to vote on at yeah. today's meeting. And how did it go? Judging from the preliminary results, and it looks like they're not uh, going to be unchanged, is actually quite surprisingly, the vote on separating the chairman and CEO only got 32% of the votes, which is less than last year when it was 40% of the vote. The vote last year, just to be clear, was just after the London Whale incident, but it didn't fully reflect 
investor opposition to that because there had been already the proxy advisors had already submitted their recommendations. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. And the other the other thing is we at that stage we didn't and investors didn't know the full extent of the trading loss and the full extent of what had happened there. They didn't know that all the regulators would get involved and that there would be no. uh, you know investigations from the SEC and others. Uh, and they didn't know it would cost six billion dollars. Yeah, they didn't know that. Yeah, <laughs> but the reason why it is lower now, despite also the, the, the big proxy advisors asking their their clients to vote in favor of this split, of split yeah. for one thing is that JP managed to lobby their investors very hard. The main argument really they'd used was if we split the chairmanship role from, from the CEO role, basically this will be a massive blow for Jamie Dimon and it might prompt him to actually leave the bank because he will, you know, will be seen sort of as a demotion for him. And obviously Jamie Dimon, he's still seen as one of the best managers on Wall Street right now, despite the London Whale. You know, he's been credited for for bringing JP Morgan through the crisis comparatively well compared to other banks. And so, so there's obviously investors would hate the idea of him leaving the bank. So so that that was one of the biggest arguments. But also, frankly, despite the London Whale, JP Morgan could show record profits last year. So mm. despite the $6 billion loss, they still made record profits, which was obviously very pleasing for investors. Their stock is at a five-year high at, at the moment. So, so there were a lot of good arguments for why he'd let the bank in a good way and why he could please investors with what he's done despite what, what had happened last year. And clearly, investors were persuaded of that. At least two thirds of them were. Yeah. What happens now? I mean, is there any truth? Do you think in in the argument that says that Jamie Dimon now, having come through this vote successfully, might just voluntarily give up some of his powers in the next, you know, six to twelve months? Mm. Doesn't feel to me like the kind of Jamie Dimon I come to know. Yeah. But uh, what do you think? You never know. But I'm very doubtful as well, particularly because now he can point to the fact that less investors than last year have actually seen this as a big issue. Yeah, and absolutely. what will certainly happen is it will come back next year at next year's AGM. We will have another discussion about that. And whether this then will gain traction will depend on things that we can't foresee right now. It will depend on, on JP Morgan's results this year. It will depend on whether, whether there's any other issue they have. And the last thing that's certainly sure is, I think, once there will be a succession to Jamie Dimon, we'll be looking for a CEO and a chairman yes. to succeed Jamie Dimon. That may still be some time off, though, yeah. I suspect. Yeah. We should move on to our second topic, which is the not unrelated issue of pay, but pay in Europe. We have heard confirmation today of the story that Daniel actually broke on on Friday around European regulators widening the definition of to whom the bonus caps that are coming in will be applied to. Brooke, you've been looking at this story as well. How much broader is the definition and how many more people is it going to apply to? Essentially, what they've said is the bonus cap, which caps a bonus at one-time salary or two-time salary with special shareholder permission, will apply to basically anyone who makes more than 500,000 euros total. Right. They've also included in this final version that's come out today a few other qualifying things that basically mean that lower paid people also cannot have bonuses that are five-time salaries. So if, for example, you make more than 75,000 euros and your bonus is more than 75% of that, you're still covered. 
I right. mean, they are essentially trying to wipe out anybody who gets a bonus that's huge. And what's interesting about that, the 500,000 number is basically doubling the number of people involved. Yes, Daniel, you had a, an estimate based on, no. we don't know for sure, no. right, how many people this will apply to. But on I think yeah. there's an extrapolation that we could make from Barclays numbers. I yeah, think. I asked some pay experts about it. And basically what they reckon is it could at least double it but you know it might as well triple or quadruple the number which would mean how many people for instance if i take barclays really roughly i don't have the the exact numbers at hand now but roughly they last year had something around 300 and something risk takers material risk takers and under the new definition they would have at least 1400 so, so it's, it's pretty significant yeah, multiple. Yeah. And we should we should clarify that this is when you talk about significant risk takers, this is so called code staff, the definition of that being people who take a risk. And broadening it now to someone who earns half a million euros, is that right? right. In total right. remuneration. Yes, so that's bonus, paid plus bonus, bonus. Clearly broadens it to many thousands of people across the sector. So uh, a significant change. In terms of timing of introduction, there's no change to that, is there? No, it's, it's next year. Yeah, beginning of 2014, 14. under the so-called CRD4 rules changes to Europe. Fine, well, that's something I'm sure we'll hear lots more about from the banks in particular as they wrestle with how they're going to implement it and how many people. Our final topic for the day is to look at Qatar, which is back in the news again, particularly in reference to the banks, because it's emerged that they are shaping up to be a big new shareholder in VTB, the Russian partly state-owned bank, and also that they took part in the recent cash call of Deutsche Bank a few weeks ago. Daniel, this is another interesting move from Qatar. They've already been a pretty big bank investor over the financial crisis buying up stakes in everybody from Barclays to Credit Suisse and Agricultural Bank of China. The list is quite a a significant one and and with big stakes as well. What are the latest investments signal, do you think? I think it signals, firstly, that they've got renewed confidence to invest in the sector after they've seen that some of their investments there have been pretty successful. I mean, the investment in Barclays in 2008 at the height of the financial crisis, for instance, has been a hugely profitable investment for them because they basically bought when the price was almost at its lowest and when Barclays was really desperate to get fresh capital as well and to avoid a state bailout. So so that's one reason. And the other one, I think one of the main drivers really for, for its investments is that it's looking for geographical expansion and for new investment opportunities in different areas in the world. I mean, the, the investment in VTB is very interesting, not only from the, from the pure financial standpoint for the Qataris, but also because VTB is also a big principal investor. They do invest in in private equity, they're Russia's largest private equity investor, but also outside in, in, in a lot of emerging markets, they're investing. And it just simply gives the Qataris huge scope to invest alongside them in the future. And of course, as a Russian part state-owned bank, they're pretty close to the Kremlin. And I'm sure that will be uh, on the Qataris' mind as well in terms of you know potential deal flow of state assets as well. It tallies with the whole attitude of the Qataris liking to get deal flow from their their bank investments, I think. So we'll see who's next on the list. Uh, Any predictions? (laughs) It's difficult to tell. Maybe the only prediction I can have is who's not going to be next on the list, which (laughs) um, despite advising them on the deal is, I think UBS is unlikely to be on the list because they're already invested in a Swiss bank with Ah, Trade Swiss and they're not going to do uh, the same thing. Well, I'm sure uh, UK banks will be wondering, particularly the state 
state-owned ones, whether uh, the Qataris might pop up on a shareholder register at some point. Yeah. We'll wait and see. That's it for this week. All that's left for me to do is to thank Brooke and Daniel for their contributions and to thank you for listening. Remember, you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at ft.com slash banking. Banking Weekly was produced by Katie Carney. We're taking a week off next week because of the UK bank holiday, but we'll be back on Monday, June the 3rd. Until then, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.